Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Before I go any further this morning, I just want to um, express my thanks um, to our church family for all of your, uh, your prayers and support and the wonderful emails and cards and things that you've said um, to us in the loss of uh, my cousin Dan. And I know for the Belial family, I also want to extend that too. Um, it's just a great church family. And um, thank you. So, yeah, with that. Um, so um, we started a series a couple weeks ago called Getting a Grip. And, and it's all about um, learning to see our lives from the bigger picture. And, and we started with, with Moses' prayer in Psalm 90, where he just says, Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number, teach us how to make our lives count. Help, help us to realize that that it's just so much. But it's a precious gift that we've been given. And so, Lord, teach us. Teach us how to make the most of it, how to, how to make it really count. Teach us to number our days. Now, we've all done that to one degree or another at some time in our life. Um, for a bride, you know, who is preparing for a wedding, you know what it is to number your days. You know, you ask any bride to be, you know, she is like, how many days? 27 days? Three hours and 26 minutes. You know, she's got it down. An interesting phenomenon. I, I do premarital counseling with couples. And just like in the last couple of years, I have noticed when, when they come for premarital counseling, like the bride brings in this binder that's got to be at least this thick. You know, and it is filled with like notes and calendars and there's little tear-offs from magazines of pictures of different ideas. And it's, you know, this thing is just like bursting over. You know, she is numbering her days. You know? She knows that there's a due date. There's, there's, a, there's a day when something's all going to come to a culmination. And I've only got so much time, so I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I stay on task. Um, that's what it means to number our days. Uh, any parent here of a sixth grader? I don't know if they still do this, Benicia Middle School. Sixth grade science projects. Do they still do those? Oh, I, oh man. When our kids were younger, they had sixth grade science projects, and they had like three or four of them that they had to do, and they were like major, major projects, and it took me months to do their, it took my kids months to do their projects. And of course, it always came down to the last week, you know, and we're just, you know, putting stuff together and making diagrams of brains and all kinds of things, but... But when you know that you've, you've got a certain amount of time and you know that there's a, there's a due date to it, if you've ever made a presentation, if you've ever had a school assignment, if you've ever, uh, you know, if you've ever had a due date and you knew you had so much time, you know what it means to count your days. You know what it means to number your days. And what Moses is saying in this prayer is he's saying, Lord, help us to see each day from that perspective. That, that we've been given, we have been given this gift and it only has so many days to it for each of us. It's inevitable. For all of us, there is going to be an end date. So he says, teach us to number our days. And the way that he says to do that is to see our lives in the bigger picture. To understand that, that in God's economy, in God's timeline, from everlasting to everlasting, that God is doing a work in this world. And, and that we all have a place in that. Every one of us. We've been given this amount of time. He says, help us to see that our lives are not just from here to here, but there's a bigger context to it all. Help us to see our lives from the perspective of eternity. 
from what you are doing in the world and help us then to find our part in that. Um, Paul wrote about it to the Colossian church. He puts it this way. He says, whatever you do, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, what he's saying is because, see, we've got an advantage over Moses. What Moses only saw far off by faith in the distance, we now have the benefit because in Christ, what, what Paul writes about in Colossians, he says that in Christ, God is bringing it all together. He's bringing all of those things, and he's, and he's bringing them into a focus that we can understand what this life is all about. And that's why Paul writes to the Colossian church. He says, so now whatever you do, however you live your life, whatever it is, whether in word or deed, whatever it is, do it in the name of Jesus. That's, that's the perspective. That's a perspective for our lives. So what I want to talk about this morning is, is taking that idea and understanding, okay, so we've got this limited number of days. And we live our days in the grand perspective of what God is doing. So the best thing I can do with my life, one of the best things I can do is, is to put my life into Christ's hands and then pursue that relationship with him so I better understand my life in the context of eternity. And that's what Paul writes about to the Colossian church. If you want to follow along, Colossians 1. He writes these words, beginning in verse 9. For this reason, he's writing to a church, For this reason, since the day we first heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask that God will fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit and every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then skip down verse 25. So he says, I have become its servant, servant of the gospel. By the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all the energy which so powerfully works in me. What Paul is saying is, understand your life. God has given you this gift, and it all makes sense in the context of Jesus Christ. And this is the great mystery. This is what Moses was looking forward to and didn't even understand at the time when he he said that prayer. He said, this is where it comes down to. Christ in you. The hope of glory. That's what it's all about. So if that's what it's all about, then how do we embrace that life? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. There's a couple of things um, that I want to share with you. The first is this. When it comes to embracing the life that Christ has for you, you must take ownership of your own spiritual growth. You have to do this. The church can't do it for you. It's not something anybody else can do it for you. No one can. It's, it's up to you. 
Now, the church provides a great place because the church can provide an environment, the church can provide teaching, the church can provide relationships that will help do that. But ultimately, ultimately, it comes down to you. The church can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. Paul, Paul himself said he can't do it for you. He does the best he can. He says, since the first day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. He goes down, he says, so we proclaim Christ admonishing and teaching everyone. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Paul says, I am doing all that I can. But, but you've got to take hold of this too. You know, it's kind of like, kind of like Home Depot. You know, Home Depot's motto. You know, Home Depot's motto, you can do it, we can help. You, you've heard that? Actually, I found out, I looked it up. They've actually changed it. I don't know. Maybe it was a truth in advertising thing. I don't know. But now, but now the motto has just simply become more savings, more doing. It's like, we'll save you money, but you're on your own. <laughs> but I like that motto. He says, you can do this. We can help. And that's really the essence of the church. In fact, Paul says, to this end, I labor. I labor. The, the, the Greek word is agonizo. You wonder what English word we get from that? Paul says, I agonize over you people. It's a pastor's heart. Now I can tell you every pastor on our staff, every lay pastor, every leader in our ministries, they agonize over this. Because because what we want for each and every one of you is the very best that God has for you. And we can do all we can. We can prepare messages. We can lead in worship. We can sing our hearts out. We can, we can teach classes. We can do all of those things. But ultimately, ultimately, understand, you've got to take responsibility. You've got to take ownership of this. And that's why he goes on. He says, it goes over in chapter 3. If you go further, he says, so set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. What he's saying is, you've you got to reorient your thinking. Because I agonize over you people. I pray over you. I teach you. I, admonish, I do everything that I can. But, but, but you've got to take this. And you've got to make a change in your mindset, in the way that you organize and arrange your life. He says, it's you. In fact, he goes on, he says, so let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Say, soak it in. (laughs) Let it take hold. Let it become the guiding principles of your life. Let it rule. I can only do so much. You've got to take it from there. You've got to make it your own. Now, that's going to look very differently in every one of us. Because we are different people. We have different personalities. We have different makeups. We are wired differently. We have different interests. We have different skills and talents. We are at different stages in our walk with Christ. There are some among us who who are just very at the very beginning stages. And just learning what this life in Christ means. Some of us have been followers of Jesus for a number of years. And so it's going to look differently in every one of us. So here's the thing. Don't judge anybody else by what they do or do not do. (laughs) You just take care of yourself. You keep yourself moving forward. It's going to look differently in every one of us. But here's the other thing. No matter how far you've come and no matter where you are in this whole thing, there's always a next step. There's always a next step. 
Paul puts it this way. He says, we pray in this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Now, that, that idea of fruit runs throughout Scripture. It, it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And there was all the fruit and all the trees that you're allowed to eat from, but not this one. The, the picture of fruit, when, when the spies uh, went first into the land of Canaan and brought back the report, part of what they brought back in the report was samples of the fruit of the land that is a land flowing with milk and honey. Jesus used it. He said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me that you may bear much fruit. See, that whole idea of bearing fruit is a picture in Scripture of a fulfilled, plentiful, meaningful life. And he's saying, what I pray for you is that, that, that you would take hold of this so that you would live that fruitful life. That you would do it. Now, like I said, that's going to look different in every one of us. But there are some common things that nurture fruit. There are some common habits, practices, disciplines, whatever you want to call them. There are some things that every one of us, no matter where we are at in that, in that journey, there is something for all of us. That, that is common, that will help every one of us, wherever you're at. And I'm just going to give you a couple of real practical ones, just three of them this morning. Three real practical things. The first one is this. Feed your mind on Scripture. It's that simple. A number of years ago, a survey was done by Willow Creek Association. They actually, and, they, and they've continued surveying on, on out now. It's been years now that they've done this. But... In the original one, they, they actually did a sampling and, and they did a survey among over 200 churches, over 80,000 respondents of people from all different places in their walk with Christ. They were, they were asked to define, you know, how would they see their life in Christ? Either I'm just discovering Christ, um, I, I've, I've put my life in his hands, I am learning and growing in Christ, or, or Christ is the, the reason for my being. You know, all the spectrum. People from everywhere in that spectrum. They also ask them questions like, would you say that you are growing in your faith or are you stuck? And, and people gave honest answers. And, and they've done this now for a number of years. Over 150,000 people have interviewed. And over and over again, for those who are progressing and for those who are stuck, and they said, what would get you unstuck? Or if you've ever been stuck, what helped you get unstuck? Anybody want to guess? Across the board, there was one that stood head and shoulders above everything else. One practice. Anybody want to guess what that was? Scripture. Scripture. Whether they, they, whether they were stuck, they found the key to getting unstuck was to put themselves back into Scripture. If they were progressing and growing in faith, it was because they were spending time in God's Word. Reflection of Scripture across the board. Across the board, no matter where people were at, no matter how they were, that they would judge their own spiritual growth and development. Number one, head and shoulders, reflection on Scripture. It is the single greatest thing that you can do to nurture this life in Christ. And we're going to help you do that inside your program. I'm going to challenge you this bit this morning, okay? This should be a, a little bookmark. looks like this. Would you pull this out? All right? Here's what you're going to do. On the backside, there is a 40-day reading plan. Okay, now, don't get freaked out here, okay? Because <laughs> I know. New Year's resolutions, I'm going to read the Bible through. 
And they start in Genesis, and that's really interesting. And Exodus, that's pretty interesting. And then Leviticus, it kind of gets a little hard. And then you get to Numbers, and you just go, ah. <laughs> and nobody gets past the fourth book of the Bible, okay? So here's what this is. This is a great thing. This is the overview of Scripture. You are not going to read the whole Bible word for word all the way through. But what this will do is just a couple of chapters, maybe only one chapter a day, but it will give you the 50,000-foot view. And I'm going to challenge you for the next 40 days. And then there's a little box there that you can check when you've done it. Now, please, don't do this and just read so you can check the box, okay? Because that will do you very little good. It'll do you some good, but it will do you very, very little good. But take the challenge. Join me. Join our pastoral staff. Join the leadership of this church and say, for the next 40 days, this is what I'm going to do. And and it's real easy. You're going to start out in Genesis, but only four days you're going to spend in Genesis. And and you get to skip Leviticus and Numbers completely. Not that they're not important, (laughs) but so many people get bogged down. So this 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 is the overview. Here's the thing. Remember we said, Moses said, teach us to number our days. Help us to see our lives in the context of your bigger picture. The idea of this 40-day reading plan is that you get the bigger picture. It's going to be an overview. And, 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 and if, you, if you have a hard time, find a, find, find a translation that you can understand. And there's tons of them out there. Easy, readable translations, paraphrases. Start somewhere, okay? This is a 40-day challenge. And I'm going I'm to ask every one of us, take the challenge. Take the challenge. And here's how to do it, okay? Find a modern translation. And, and I would encourage you, get a notepad. Set aside some time. Okay, don't just breeze through it. Don't just, oh, I got to do my reading today, you know, so I can check the box, okay? Set aside some time. Just a half hour, somewhere in your day. Morning works really good for me. Some of you aren't morning people, okay? Do it when your mind is awake. <laughs> but take a half hour and, and just sit down and just read that one or two chapters for that day. And then think about it. And take a notepad. If there's questions that come up as you're reading, write the questions down. Don't try and answer the question right then there. But if there's something, or, or, or if something occurs to you. Now, here's how to read the Bible creatively. Put yourself in the story. Read Genesis and put yourself as if you were Adam (laughs) or Eve or Noah. And just kind of put yourself in the story. Think creatively. How would I react? What would I think? What What would be my actions in that situation? And by the way, here's the other thing, and this is why we keep, we keep pushing people, get into a community group, get into a Northgate U class, because it's in the, what you'll do is you'll get other people's perspective, and one of the best ways to learn scripture is to hear it and see it from other perspectives. And so when you get together in a community group, and we share together, and people have perspectives and takes on it that I never thought of, I learn, I grow from that. Northgate U is a great, great way. And it's, and it's an eight-week commitment. You know, if you aren't big and you don't want to get stuck on something for the rest of your life, it's an eight-week commitment. We have two great classes. One of them is just how to read the Bible <laughs> for all that it's worth. 
And if you haven't signed up for that class, it starts tonight. And I encourage you to sign up for it. Uh, we're doing a class just in the Gospel of John, the life and ministry of Jesus. There's all kinds of life application classes. Here's the idea. You want to get yourself into Scripture because it's the single greatest thing you can do to nurture your life with God. So feed your mind on Scripture. Get the big picture. And then find ways to put it into practice. Because if you just read it and never get any application into your life, it's, 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 it's not going to penetrate where it needs to penetrate. James writes about it. He says, he says, someone who takes Scripture and reads it and then walks away and forgets what he read, he said, that's like somebody who got up in the morning, you know, stumbled out of bed, you know, hair disheveled and everything, you know, got dressed, went and stood in front of the mirror and went, okay, and walked off to work. <laughs> he says, look at it, examine it, let it examine you. Jesus talked about at the end of his Sermon on the Mount. Then remember how he finished the Sermon on the Mount? He told a parable. He said, the man who hears these words and puts them into practice will be like someone who has built their house on a rock. And he also said, the one who hears these words and does not put them into practice is like someone who has built their house on sand. And he says, and the storms come and the winds blow and the house fell. In fact, if you were raised in Sunday school, we used to sing a little song about that. I don't know if you remember it. You know, the wise man built his house upon rock, you know. You remember that song? Anybody? Okay, before you know. And then, of course, it was always, you always loved the, you weren't supposed to, but you loved the foolish man because you got to go, and the house on the sand went crash! You know? I don't know. We kind of got, missed the meaning of that whole song. But, but what Jesus says is, take it and put it into your life. And I will tell you as a pastor, and you can ask any, any pastor in any church, on any pastoral staff, when you hear those heartbreaking stories and you hear about someone and what happened and you realize, you know, probably 80% of the time they brought it on themselves. It was decisions they made along the way because they didn't take the wisdom of God's word and put it into practice. Now, the storms come. To both houses, the wind blows, rain beats against the house. But the one that stands, it's like it's the wise man built this house on a rock. The man, the woman who has taken these words and put them into practice. Because the time to build a solid house is not in the middle of the storm. It's long before the storm comes. And a third thing. Paul says, practice a life of gratitude. He says, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. When we talk about, Lord, teach us to number our days, I don't want you to go away with this idea that, oh man, that just, that just means like I'm never going to, I can never have any fun ever again, you know? <laughs> Because if I got to number my days, that means that every moment, every time I got to be thinking, oh no, you know, I can't do that. I can't. That's not what numbering our days is all about. It's about embracing the life 
that God has meant you to live. It's living with that reality. And, 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 and understand that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. That the good, enjoyable things in your life, the delights of your life, they are gifts from God. They really are. And, and the thing about giving thanks is, and practicing gratitude is, it reminds me, it helps me connect the good stuff in my life to the giver of the good stuff. And that's what's so important. We, um, every week when our staff gathers together, we have a time of prayer together. And we pray for the requests that have come in. We pray for everything. And, and, um, and, and this week, um, particularly because we finally broke through that fog, you know, and we had some beautiful sunny days. And, and I was just, I was so grateful and so thankful to God for these beautiful sunny days. And then, of course, Wednesday at our staff meeting, it was one of those foggy days. And we're praying around the circle. And one of our staff members says, Lord, thank you for the fog. And I went, I don't know if I can go there. <laughs> but she continued to pray, thank you for the way. That it waters the ground. That it nourishes the soil. That it gives life. See, Practicing gratitude gives me a whole different perspective. And here's a practical way you can do that one. Before you go to bed every night, before you go to bed every night, whatever your evening routine is, just stop and just think back through the day five things. Just five things that happened that day that you can be grateful for. I learned this a number of years ago and kind of gotten out of the habit. Just started practicing it again this week. And it's amazing the change that it brings about. Just five things. You've got to be able to think of five things and just give thanks to God because what you're saying is, Lord, I know this is a gift from you. This day has been a gift from you. And, and I'm grateful for this and for that. I'm grateful for this conversation. I'm grateful that I could be connected with a friend. I'm grateful, Lord, that you provided again for me, kept me safe, whatever it might be. But just before your head hits the pillow at night, just five things that you could be grateful for and then just give thanks. Because what you are doing in that, like I say, is you're connecting the good gifts of your life to the one who gave them. And if you could do those three things, just... Get in the habit. Take this 40-day challenge and, and spend a half hour alone with God, reflecting on Scripture, reading, but then reflecting. Okay? And then look for ways to put it into practice. And you might even find some days, just I don't know how that's going to fit into my life. But you might be surprised throughout the day, all of a sudden, whoa, this is what I was reading about. Okay? But look for ways to put it into practice and then just practice gratitude. And I guarantee you, those three things will make a huge difference. And here's just the last thing. Take responsibility. Take ownership of your own spiritual growth. Realize wherever you're at, there's always a next step. And then here's the great thing. That remember with every step, Christ is with you. You are not in this alone. You are not in this alone. The spirit of Christ indwells you. I'm not alone. 
You're not alone because we couldn't do it in our own strength. Paul puts it this way. He says, I labor struggling with all his energy. Did you notice that? He didn't say with all my energy. He, he says, for this, I labor struggling with all his energy, God's energy, Christ's energy, which so powerfully works in me. Paul is saying, in my ministry, in my love for the churches, in all that I do, he says, here's the thing that I find. No matter how much I labor and agonize and no matter how much I do, the one thing that I find is every time I turn around, it's Jesus. That God has given me strength I didn't know I had. That God has provided me insight that I didn't know I had. That God is using my words, that God is using my prayers, that, that at every point in all of this, even though I think I'm the one that's working so hard, it's the strength of Christ that's at work in me. And that is true for every one of us. You're not in this alone. There's someone else, someone else at work. Paul calls it this. He says he calls it the glorious riches of this ministry, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. To bow your heads. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.